Hello everybody and welcome to Volume 2, Issue 86 of the Kane and Rince Podcast with Fez. The platforming genre is not uncommon to the world of Kane and Rince, but what lays beneath the surface of Polygon Corporation's Fez most certainly is. After five years of development in hell, would Phil Fish and company be able to create the indie darling that everyone hoped it would be? Let's Escher on and get the Kane and Rince perspective. Joining me, not Leon Cox, but Darren Gargett, on this issue we have Joshua Garrity... Hello there. Sean O'Brien. You. And the, the late addition, the man who comes screaming on the pitch without any clothes on, it's James <laughs> Carter. Um, the fourth dimension apparently is owls. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then, uh, Fez was first an- announced, I think it was around about the time of IGF when everyone started hearing about it. It became, Yeah, it was 2008 IGF, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, it became the winner. And um, it was probably announced before then and people knew about it in certain circles, but it was definitely uh, internet-wide when Fez was sort of like, oh my god, you know, this is actually happening. And it was sort of a, a new brave venture for 2D uh, platform games with the whole perspective shifting thing. Um, but I wanted to know... Sort of everyone else's opinions on the histories of the games and stuff like that, like, like we normally do with uh, the, the start of the show. And uh, yeah, we're going to start with Josh. What is your history with the game? And that's a bit of a weird one because there's not really much of a history. You know, it's not like a long-running series or anything like that. It's just sort of like an indie game that just popped out of nowhere. So, what is your history with Fez? I, I I'm I'm very much someone who keeps an eye on like the downloadable scene because uh, these days some of the most interesting games always come out of that scene and Fez was always a game that I heard a lot of people talking about like um e- even before it was released the guys mm. at Giant Bomb uh, kept uh, discussing it and talking about it and uh, stuff like that and I I I just found the art style and the the concept of you know this 2d character navigating a 3d world really interesting mm. um then the reviews started coming out and everyone seemed to love it and i you know i think i think the 800 point um price tag for this on xbox live arcade kind of made it a really easy purchase mm. uh, it would have it would have been so easy and totally justifiable in fact to make this like 1200 points but Definitely. that cheaper price just makes this such a bargain picked it up fell in love with it yeah the the 800 price point is it was so ah, it was such a surprise to me because i'd followed this game like i say since it was first sort of internet spread it was like oh fez is a thing and it's a guy about who wears a fez and he can shift uh, you know the camera to gain a new perspective on the world 
hence the little crappy pun at the start of this podcast. Um, so yeah, like the, the art style appealed to me. I think I was, yeah, I was starting to get, getting into indie games then. It's sort of like my, my real sort of introduction to this, to the scene. And, um, soon after Nintendo had announced that Super Paper Mario would also have the same perspective shifting mechanic. And I thought, hold on, like that's a bit weird because Fez is obviously inspired by Nintendo games, as you see with Gomez waking up and he's got the Zelda poster in his, in his bedroom. So it's kind of funny to see that Nintendo are taking keys from Fez. I don't know if it worked like that. Like, but it just seemed too coincidental that Fez sort of done this thing first in my in my eyes, and then Nintendo sort of came around and did the same thing. But yeah, Super Paper Mario, Super Paper Mario came out before Fez, which was a bit disappointing because I was like, "Well, Fez should be out by now," and <laughs> I didn't realise it would be like another three to four years wait. And um, I'm sure Philfish didn't want that game, well, and his partner uh, Renard, um, you know, to, to take another four years of development. But you know, it's some good things in life take a long time to uh, to wait for, and it's worthwhile. So yeah, I uh, bought it on day one on the Xbox 360, and absolutely loved it to pieces, and picked it apart, and it also picked my brain apart, so yeah. Um, Sean? I, I had like, followed indie games as they came out, but I didn't really, I wasn't plugged into the indie scene as much, so I didn't really know much about Fez at all until uh, Phil Fish was at, I think it was a GDC where he said something like to a Japanese developer, something like um, the guy asked him what his opinion on Japanese games were, and Phil said, uh, I think, I'm paraphrasing, but something along the lines of, uh, I think all Japanese games suck today. And that line kind of picked up on the media, and everybody was talking about it. So that was my first impression of Phil uh, pretty much being a dickhead. And um, <laughs> yeah. uh, So I'd kind of... I guess then I was like, well, who is this guy? So he, I looked into it, and this guy made this game called Fez. And I uh, looked at the pictures. I was like, oh, this game looks really cute, but the guy's such an asshole. So I'm not. I, <laughs> I, I kind of like I boycotted it. I was like, oh, I'm not going to buy his game. He seems like a jerk. I'm not going to support that. And then the reviews started coming out, and everybody started loving it. And then the price point, like you guys said, 800 points. And then you guys were all talking about it, and I, I kind of got caught up in the zeitgeist, and I just totally became a hypocrite and bought it they want to yeah i think a lot of people's um opinion of Phil fish are very strong and it probably affected sure, yeah. the sales of the game but hopefully over time people forget that you know s- people say stupid stuff and you know that wasn't sure, the best thing course. in the world to say and yeah. uh, i don't want to dwell on his personality too much and we will talk about him in the yeah. indie game the movie because mm-hmm. he says he says a lot of stupid things in that and you know sure but yeah um, well I, I think it's kind of like it's the game is also in a lot of ways a reflection of his personality too like mm. it's just he, he's a he's a he'll say what he wants and he's a also kind of a nutcase and i've, I've grown to actually love him for it so it's it's, it's weird mm. it's a weird case yeah i actually bought this on uh, xbox live the day it came out again uh, 800 points heard a lot about it um not not as far back as 2008 by any stretch, but certainly by, um, I guess, sort of midway through 2011, a lot of people were starting to mention this and it became one of those sort of when will we see this game type conversations and as, as we've mentioned, Phil Fish helped that along somewhat by <laughs> letting out a little more of his cretinous side. Mm. Um, through, I think what we'll talk about is probably not that much fault of his own. I think it's just the way he comes across and and like you Sean I I kind of I've got a lot of affection for him just the way he is you know he's clearly um 
strong personality and gets very emotional about the game he made and uh, and video games in general. So, um, but yeah, I, I picked it up and I played through. I mean, I probably got to the main hub, hmm. so we're talking like twenty minutes of the game, mm-hmm. um, and just one thing or another uh, distracted me from it and I, I kept up with the conversation that was going on on, on Twitter in maybe the first couple of weeks mm. maybe a month after it came out um, and just a, a bit like uh, like a lot of people treat uh, Demon Souls or Dark Souls really just viewed the conversation from afar intrigued sounded really exciting but just had other stuff on my plate um, mm. around that time uh, and, and then it, it obviously popped up on PC earlier this year and, uh, and I picked it up and and got around to playing it. Started on Monday. Um, it's it's now Thursday. I'm, I'm quite tired. I'll be honest. <laughs> How's your brain? Is um, it like a, a scrambled egg? I had three hours sleep last night. Um, and uh, and yeah, I'm still trying to make head nor tails. I, I've got a notebook that I keep notes on games. I, I know you do too, Darren. Mm. You know when you see those films and someone's been trapped in a prison cell for like 20 years <laughs> yeah. and on the walls is stuff in, in their own blood and their own feces and the spinal fluid of rats that's th- that have been in there and it's just unintelligible nonsense? Well, that's kind of what the three or four pages of notes that I've made on this look like. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's very much sort of captured me over the past few days and I've been... Uh... So, yeah, the, the notes... The notes for Fez uh, we'll no doubt talk about later on in this podcast. I know we say that all the time. It's a bit of a a catchphrase for us uh, but yeah we definitely get around to the 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 scrawlings of a madman when playing fez and yeah people walking in and going what the hell are you doing like what are you doing on that bit of paper and you're like yeah i'm not going mental it's just i'm just playing a game called fez where you play a little 2d man in a 3d world wearing a hat and you're like oh jesus <laughs> yeah, it's not unintelligible they're tetrominals come on keep oh jesus of course yeah and hours and other things on the wall that you don't really know are there. Anyway, we'll get to that in a bit. So before we um we talk about indie game the movie briefly, I'm just gonna uh oh we're all gonna try and chime in and um give our brief summary of Fez as a from a gameplay point of view from when you start because there's two distinct type of games with Fez and New Game Plus with Fez isn't really New Game Plus in my opinion. It's sort of the mm. second half of the game like the the crescendo and it, it it's kind of like um i, I was going to say to me it kind of felt like the inverted castle there we go that's what i was castlevania symphony of the night thank you um in that the new game plus is just a different game like yeah. what you're looking for the way you solve puzzles mm-hmm. is completely different mm-hmm. but but equally well the environment although in inverted castle it's it's different but it's familiar and in, in Fez as well. When you start New Game Plus, I mean, ostensibly, it's the environment's exactly the same. Mm. You traverse it completely differently, and what you're now looking for is completely different. Mm. But it, it's still, it, you know, it's not taking you off to a completely different continent or anything like that. It's still got that familiar feeling. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Um, so yeah, Fez is a two D on the surface. Fez is a two D platformer with um... on which surface. <laughs> uh, the the Z surface, I don't know, the X axis. So yeah, it's a two D platformer uh, until you get the 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 hat in question, the Fez, and the world becomes a three D platformer at your at your leisure. You can change the camera from in ninety degrees, like right angles, uh, left and right triggers. And what this does, it sort of there's games based on this already. There was Echo Chrome and like I mentioned, Super Paper Mario. You can spin the world and it. it changes the perspective of the world and platforms move in different areas so you can jump to new areas and it's all about for the first half of the game it's all about 
just shifting the camera around to make sure you can jump from one side to the other. And what I love about Fez, and which is weird for me because I love platformers that are really hard. What I love about Fez is that there's nothing in your way that will kill mm. you. It is just, it is just the hippie game, man. Like you, you just <laughs> want to just chill, and you know, for the first half of the game, you just want to chill out, zone in on that music, and just become one with the world. And I know that sounds really, really like cheesy and hippie to say. The way I feel in that world when I start playing Fez and I'm platforming around, and it's all just like you can hear the the water in the background sort of gushing, mm-hmm. like the ocean mm-hmm. splashing up against the screen. That's how I feel. It goes. It feels kind of hypnotic and trance-like after a certain four hours of brain bashing it's been really great for me revisiting it um uh recently i didn't manage to finish it for a second time unfortunately because um i got distracted by other stuff Mm -hmm. but um playing it recently i've been trying to work my way through dark souls and fez is just such a completely different experience (laughs) Mm -hmm. from that it Mm -hmm. engages a very different part of your brain um, yeah. I still think Fez is challenging, but it's a different kind of challenging. It's not. A, it's not a challenge based on, like Dark Souls is about overcoming opponents. Uh, mm-hmm. For me, like these opponents that are puzzle-like, and you have to, you know, fight like hell to try and defeat them. Whereas um, uh, Fez is much more about taking a, a slow, methodical approach to these situations that you don't have all the answers to, but you can take your time. There's no rush. You just, you know, figure out your own pace. It's fine. You just, it's a really, it's a game about just really engaging your brain and and not feeling pressured, though. It's not about racking up the tension or making you feel like you have to make split-second decisions. It's just making you really consider everything. The, the modern-day equivalent of Fez and Dark Souls would be Animal Crossing and The Last of Us. They, they're, they're so polar opposite but they feed off each other perfectly. So you're playing Last of Us, you get stressed, tense, anxious, you turn it off and you play Animal Crossing. I imagine what you're doing with Fez and Dark Souls is very similar to what I was doing with Last of Us oh, and yeah. Animal Crossing. <laughs> I was just going to say, it's um, it's one of those situations where it, it just feels like a world where you do need to apply, you know, a little bit of brain power to it, but you sort of feel like, like with like with some other puzzle games, I suppose, that actually you benefit just by turning it off, going away, coming back to it with a fresh perspective. Um, <laughs> How many times can we do that in this podcast? <laughs> just coming back the next day, having thought about it, mulled it over subconsciously, and and maybe just trying something different. Um, hmm. And there's just no future um, getting frustrated by anything if. If you find a door that you don't know how to open, go, go and find a different door. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just yeah, yeah. There's so much to discover. Um, very rarely do you get to the point where there's only one thing for you to do. Uh, you know, in in the game, uh, you know, one thing left, as it were. Um, the word the word that I was looking for earlier and failed was there's no sense of urgency in this mm-hmm. game, mm-hmm. which yeah. I, which in some games would be a negative. Like if like one of the criticisms of Mass Effect Three is the Earth is being destroyed and there's mm. this like constant sense of urgency, but like you're off in the pub having a party, <laughs> and and that's and that you know that that's a, a negative. But with Fez, the, there's no like the the story is so vague you don't like no one really knows what's going on in Fez. I'm mm. not entirely convinced that Phil Fish. No, I know there's there's a there are like hints to a grander narrative, mm. but I, I I think that's kind of all it is. I don't think there is this 
lore behind what's going on. So it just it just feels like you're exploring. It just feels like you're you're playing and exploring in a world that is foreign and really unusual and alien, but it's not threatening. It's not dangerous in any way. There is a there is a bit of dialogue at the start which um I think if I remember this rightly it says something about like um oh, I'm blanking on it now but basically they're they're alluding to the fact that this is probably not the first time this has happened. Yeah, yeah like a, dialogue like a, looks like an older version of uh, whatever they are. Like it mm. looks like Gomez but like significantly older. He's walking around with a cane and a patch on his eye. Mm, yeah. And he kind of like passes the torch on you like this is your time now to do it. Uh, similar That's to it, yeah. Link or something like that. At the beginning of the game, obviously, you get the fez, and at that point, there is a rather large um, cube that calls itself... I made a note of it here because you have to decipher it second time through the game, <laughs> yeah. the he- Hequahedron. It's um, a good name. And uh, and it basically breaks apart when you start changing the perspective of the world mm. and shatters into all these cubes that you're tasked with putting back together. So it, the implication there is that the, the older um, member of your village failed to gather all the pieces but now has to pass the task on to you and you have to start from scratch mm. i guess and that's from this moment that's when i really fell in love with fez like i liked it at the start because it had the zelda poster mm. and i'm a bit of a nintendo lover myself and it's like yeah this game it's got a really good vibe but when it starts glitching out on you and i genuinely yeah. thought my xbox was red ringed because like, i'm not not losing another <laughs> xbox not when fez is out and then you realize it's done the arkham asylum trick of Glitchy graphics, horrible sound, your Xbox is dead, not really, and it sort of reboots in like a blue screen of death situation mm-hmm. on your PC, and I was like, well, this game's got me by the heart. <laughs> uh, while you're on that point, I think Fez has some of the best uses of fourth wall breaking mm-hmm. of yeah. any game I've played. I mean, there's the obvious one, like the QR codes, which are... Mm. Uh, Littered. I think there are a couple of them, aren't there? There's more than oh, one. Oh, yeah. There's more than that. There's four or five, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and they and if you scan them with your phone, they reveal a secret code that you you know tap into your controller to get an anti cube. But there's stuff like when you enter a room and your controller starts vibrating, um, and you're thinking, yeah, magnets. Yeah. What the hell? What the hell is going on? <laughs> and 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 the, there seems to be nothing else about this room. But then you pick up on the pattern. Once you realise, like, it's different sections of your controller vibrating, (laughs) and there's a pattern to it, and you think, oh, fuck. Wait, if I pull the trigger this many times in this direction and this many times in this direction, and once Mm. you figure out the pattern and manage to do it with the the triggers, yeah, an anti-cube suddenly appears. Mm -hmm. It's just stuff like that. Mm. And and there's nothing that... I love that mo that that's one of my favorite moments in the game by mm-hmm. the way because yeah, me too. it's a great example of a puzzle that tells you nothing uh, well it tells you just enough that um mm-hmm. you can figure it out but it's so vague that you feel like a genius when you finally <laughs> figure it out it's just a great example I-, I just thought that was a great example of uh, yeah. puzzle design I had a question about that specific puzzle um James, are you the only one who played it on PC? Uh, I guess, yeah. Okay. Possibly. Oh, no, I played it on PC oh, for the okay. second time, but can, I use an Xbox you, pad. You, okay, I was going to say, can you play it with mouse and keyboard, though? I, I, I couldn't I wonder, even tell you. I would be curious how that puzzle plays out, specifically, if you can. I mean, maybe maybe there's it. like a Phil Fish version of, like, you know, late night TV where the guy does the, the sign language in the corner. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> Phil Fish pops up and does his own little left, right, but no, maybe. 
you could have a controller, but it may not be one that has, um, you know, rumble or force yeah. feedback or whatever we're calling it ten years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it, that's perfectly possible mm. that that might just be the case. Um, well, yeah, I don't think you get much of a much of a hint as to the the fact that you would need that in. Mm. But I I didn't try it in all honesty. I tend to start most PC games with the controller plugged in and then huff and puff if it doesn't let me use it. Well, before we head down a rabbit hole, that is um, Alice in Wonderland or, or Fez. Like, they're, they're very similar in my eyes. You can go down a rabbit hole and get lost for hours on end. Uh, I want to talk briefly about the indie game, the movie, which sort of coincided with the release of Fez. It was quite... It's probably fortunate for Phil Fish, really, in some ways, because the game got a lot of exposure. But in mm. some ways, you know, Phil Fish's character and personality yeah. was also portrayed on screen and, you know, stuff happened in there. Uh, but how do people feel about specifically the, the, um, the, you know, the Polytron ver- uh, section of Indie Game, the movie? Well, um, well, I was much more engaged with the Team Meat storyline simply because I yeah. I, I like those guys more. Yeah. Um, Phil Fish's story is really interesting, but like knowing some of the behind the scenes stuff, uh, like for example, his mysterious partner is mm. not quite so uh, evil as the documentary portrays him. Mm. Um, mm. Uh, and, and to be uh, fair, I don't think the documentary necessarily does so much as as Phil himself does. Yeah, but it, it's the job of the documentary uh, maker to make sure to, to take a perspective. Yeah, sure. yeah, perspective. both sides are. It's uh, mm, he yeah. went on to make Dyad, which I believe is a very good indie game, and I will be getting mm. one day. Yes, it is. Uh, but yeah, it's a shame that at the end of the film, it was said there was a bit of a discrepancy, a bit of an issue here. It said like, "Oh, Phil Fisher's partner was not asked to be in the film," and then they sort of reworded. The, you know that phrase at the end to make it sound like he was asked but he didn't want to be in it and it was sort of it's all very weird and it left a bit of, a bit of an unfunny feeling in my belly like oh, is it is this manipulation or? well i i know one of the documentary makers uh, uh, i forget his name but he he is actually friends with phil fish so mm. there is kind of a bias there unfortunately it's a great mm. film and and, mm. I, yeah. and it and it doesn't certainly it it doesn't portray phil fish as an angel like there are certain scenes in that movie where um, it's clear that he's having a bit of a mental breakdown. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, very much. And and it, and it was really interesting just to see how invested he was in this game because it really was like either Fez comes out and it's a success or his life is over. Um, <laughs> not yeah. really, but the like to him it felt like that. Um, well, but he actually specifically says it and. Mm-hmm. I guess part of the the problem here is you know um, the the team meet guys when they uh, when they interviewed them Tommy Reffin is actually makes some pretty flagrant comments about what you would call AAA or big budget games mm. um, and and refers to them basically as pieces of shit and shit games etc <laughs> and that should be the sort of comment that should should have you know John Blow style should have people up in arms about you know pretentious indie game developers mm. but just because you know, Tommy's so bloody likable. You kind of want to sort of throw your fist in the air and cheer with him. And <laughs> yet, when when Phil Fish says, you know, is asked the question, what would happen if if you don't finish this game, or the game never comes out, and he just turns and looks at the at the at the the person asking the question and says, I'd kill myself. Mm. I'd absolutely kill myself. I'm sure he felt that way at the time, but it looks an awful lot like melodrama and attention-seeking, and it does it. It cheapens 
quite frankly, when a lot of people, you know, a lot of people perhaps mm. watching that film may have been depressed at times and potentially been suicidal. And to have someone throw out a comment like that, even if it's the way he's potentially feeling, it it's a very difficult line to walk without offending people or you know upsetting people. Um, and and likewise, when he goes on an absolute tirade against this partner of his, who's I'm not, it's not very clear whether whether the partner was uh, involved financially with Fez or actual you know coding and making of it, because obviously. Phil's the designer and Renault was the programmer, um, but Phil basically threatens his life. Uh, not basically, he does outright. He he says he's going to murder him when he sees him when he realizes he's going to be at Pax East, um, and that it all. I'm sure that's how Phil felt at the time. But it's it's easy sitting back watching a film like that to to think that he's being overly dramatic about it. Um, and I think that maybe sets people off against him. Well, a f- bit. F- Phil Fish in general, not just in this movie, but based on his comments on Twitter yeah, and yeah. stuff like that, strikes yeah. me as you know a very highly strung individual, someone who's prone mm. to saying stuff before thinking about it. Yeah, that's um, what it is. And yeah, and yeah, and yeah. to be and to be fair to him, there have been several occasions. Once everything's cooled down, like he has apologized for his comments. Yeah, yeah. So I I I don't quite have the like. There are quite a lot of people out there who have a lot of uh, disdain for Phil Fish, mm-hmm. and I, I can't quite relate to that because I I don't mind somebody who's blunt and like you know speaks from the heart as long as they're able to some you know recognize where they've gone wrong and apologize after mm. the fact uh, i don't understand why people <laughs> hate phil fish so much and not jonathan blow because jonathan blow strikes me as passive aggressive in a mm. way that drives me up the wall no end <laughs> um I, I think there's there's maybe two things there i think a lot of people actually do dislike jonathan blow quite yeah, true a bit. enough um yeah. But I think possibly the thing is, Jonathan Blow seems, he always seems to keep his calm and he always seems to be able to explain his point of view yeah. sufficiently well and sufficiently calmly and, and sort of coolly that even if you disagree with it and and you think he's being pretentious about, about you know, uh, AAA game development and, and games that don't mean anything to him. Um, this isn't about Jonathan Blow. We should talk about Fez. No, sure. That, that's kind of what I've, I liked about the Phil coming back to the movie is that I, the Phil yeah, Fish yeah. part is super melodramatic and, and a little over the top. Mm. And, and to me, it's, it's just more entertaining <laughs> to see like yeah. this. He's, he's yeah, much. Yeah. He comes off as across as a uh, a tortured artist kind of character, mm. whereas you know everybody else just seems kind of like just intelligent and and well-meaning but he's he's just more kind of fun once you get past the if you're you'll probably get offended the first time you hear him say anything but once you get past that he's actually kind of fun to listen to there's there's a um there's a weird other discrepancy in the film unless i misheard it he's talking about being four and when i worked it back that meant that as he was basically filming this he should have been like 17 years old or something he talked about a console coming out and him being four years old and his, his dad buying it for him. And unless I misheard and he said 14 or something, he was way too young. So I don't know what's going on there, but um, I think there's one quote of his from the film that really kind of sums him up as a person and probably explains a lot of the kind of... the times where maybe he's he's put his foot in, in it a little bit or, or said something and regretted it afterwards, which is when he's been to Pax East and he's 
So he's got there and found out that his business partner is going to be there and, mm. and he's potentially risking a lawsuit by showing the game at all. Um, and and then he starts showing the game and they have problems with it, the build that he's changed the night before, which <laughs> don't get me started on the idiocy of that. <laughs> but I'm sure he knows that he shouldn't have done it. But um, So it, the game's crashing left, right and centre and, and it sort of seems like everything's going wrong. But then in the end... The film has quite a nice uh, build to the fact that actually there's a lot of people there really enjoying the mm. game. And, and you see a sh- some shots of a kid who's playing it just with this look of absolute wonder on his face and people breaking out into smiles and always with Phil in the background with his little notepad making notes. He looks so nervous and, as well, doesn't he? Yeah, oh, absolutely. He's, he's right there with them. And, and that's um, the the quote is, is at the end, he's just been asked how it went. And he said, you know, it seems like people people really like the game they like me and it just tags that little yeah. bit on the end there that tells you that absolutely he is so wrapped up in this game because the game is him, it is him essentially yeah. he spent five years making it he yeah he needs people to like this game and and if they do it means they like him as as well yeah. and that that i'm sh- i'm sure it's an easy situation to get into when you're putting your heart and soul into into making anything um that says something about you but he, he can't distance himself from people's reaction to the game at all mm-hmm. and earlier on in the film you see him getting really irate with the notion that people are getting impatient for fez to be released mm. and it, and he's actually getting really angry at, at any comments or feedback he's getting that actually people want this game to come out you know quicker um and it's all just because it's it's so personal to him mm-hmm. and i think that's the thing that maybe like you're saying sean it actually it does endear me to him a little bit or at least, at least it allows me to understand him a little bit more i suppose but um, well, he cares about the media yeah, exactly. a lot, and and that really comes across yeah. in the game. Like, the, yeah. like the, that game just <laughs> it, it it clearly came from somebody who's been invested in this medium for years and has just engulfed himself in like like all sorts of two D platformers and yeah. Nintendo games and stuff like that. It just yeah, yeah I quite absolutely. like his um his exaggerated mountain of a molehill situation comments. Um, because oh. it, like, it, it makes for entertaining like watching as well, and I don't take them too seriously because they're all sort of from the heart, like knee-jerk reactions, and like you know, what's the craziest thing I can say to make me to make my emotions f- come across on camera? I guess so it's like, oh, this is the worst thing in my mind at the moment. Like, I'm going to kill myself, so then the viewer knows that I'm really upset. And maybe he took it too far with some comments, but I think a guy like that with those kind of crazy comments is the only kind of guy who could make a game and design like a game like Fez. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Yeah. Phil Fisher's personality didn't really clash with the, the flaky save bug and the, mm. the patch woe on the Xbox 360 platform. And again, it sort of led to another sort of tirade of anger. And to be honest, uh, quite thankfully, a lot of truths about how the Xbox 360 platform works from a yeah, de- mm-hmm. developer side, because... From the sounds of it, he got he got screwed over. Well, Polytron well, got screwed over. From the sounds of things, indie developers are really not a fan of Microsoft's policies towards no. it because they have to have yeah. a publisher. They can't self-publish. Mm-hmm. And it looks like that's mm-hmm. going to be the same with Xbox One as well, which yeah, is yeah. a real shame. Um, it Well, Steam and 
and Steam and the PlayStation 3 have been much kinder to indie mm-hmm. developers. Mm. That's how much money do they have to pay to put up a ten thousand pounds yeah. a patch? Or ten thousand dollars a patch, yeah. sorry, yeah. Ten thousand for, <laughs> for an for, for an indie developer, that is crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, no, we should we should probably say that um this this kind of all came to light when obviously people were complaining at him because he had put one patch out and that patch caused more problems. Did, yeah. Yeah. So the situation was that he was allowed to put out one patch for free essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then every patch after that would be $10,000 and Microsoft actually maintained, we should say, not that I'm the Microsoft defense force or anything here. <laughs> it it started a whole dialogue where this $10,000 number came out into the open and we started seeing a lot more of uh, as you said Darren a lot more of how this all works. Um, and uh, and Microsoft sort of then started saying, no, no, we're open to discussion. You know, if an indie developer comes to us and says, you know, especially one where we're publishing the game, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so Microsoft seemed to be indicating that they were open to reducing that. You know, if if a case was made, and that it was just to deter people from putting patches out every mm-hmm. single week yeah. and never actually finishing the game. Um, but yeah, it, it it really sparked a conversation that's been going on for. A good um, sort of year or so or more now potentially um, about how the various platforms treat um, indie mm-hmm. developers um, and the cut that Steam gives or or Nintendo or Microsoft or Sony give to developers who are who are putting their games on their platforms. You know the the cut you get from the the marketplace, etc. And so, and and ultimately, yeah. like the people who suffer most are are the people playing the game and. Yeah. Like for me, just yesterday, trying to play through, I never finished it twice. I've only completed it one and a half times, and I went through and started up my um, new game plus again yesterday, and I got about halfway mm-hmm. through, and I went to load it, and three times in a row, it just never even loaded. I hit the mm-hmm. continue game, and it would just sit there in a blank screen, so that I just oh, had to start, no. I had to start completely all over again, which is yeah. fine because the game's awesome, but like it's it's just it's a real bummer that he can't. You know, he could fix the game if he had ten thousand dollars, but it's mm. such a ridiculous. Yeah, price to I pay. loaded my game up on three sixty for for this podcast. I was planning on playing that game on the Xbox three sixty, and I loaded it up and I downloaded the patch that causes problems. Now, I didn't have the problem before, uh, but I'd clean my cache, or you know, you know, you know, you can do press that button combination to get rid of all the updates. And I updated my Fez game. And I clicked load game and clicked my you know two hundred percent or whatever it was. I can't remember what it is now. Um. And it was like, oh, data's corrupted. And I was like, oh, don't do this to me. Like, things like Fez and Binding of Isaac and Spelunky, those save files mean more to me than <laughs> loads of other games. Like, I've still got Binding of Isaac installed on my PC with no intention of playing it, but because I don't want to lose the save file because I spent so many emotional hours invested in this thing. And It's the same with me with many games. I'm mm. never going to delete, like, Fez or Super Meat Boy off of my Xbox Live thing because I am so emotionally attached to my experience with Indeed. So, yeah, when it said data's corrupted, I immediately turned the Xbox off and uh, cleared my cache again, and it was fine. Um, But what I've been hearing is that the game... uh, But beyond certain rooms, people have found more things within those rooms. So my idea was to turn the 360 version on go into these rooms that seemingly had nothing in them and mm. join the forum, the community, and basically, because they've all solved it, just sort of look at what they've done. And I couldn't do that. So it prompted me to buy the PC one, which in a way I'm, I've got no problems with at all because I would pay more than twice that anyway for Fez on its own. 
but yeah, it prompted me to play the PC one, and I'm hoping this is where we find the real dirty secrets within Fez, because apparently there's, there's stuff still going on in there. So, did anyone else experience the save bug on 360, or was it just... Uh, well, fortunately, I came and rinsed it um, <laughs> uh, before that patch came out. So, um, and I heard there was a PC version in the works. Mm. So I was kind of like, I'll just wait for the PC version to come out. If I want to play it again, I'll play it on PC so I can avoid the whole uh, save bug malarkey. The PC version, certainly as far as the probably eight hours of it I've played, Um Flawless, not a problem. Mm. No issues. I know there's frame rate issues. Some people reported. Um, yeah. I think we've got a comment or two, perhaps might allude to that. Um, I, I've been. Pl- I haven't uh, completed the PC version. I, I've only played like mm. um, three hours of it, I think. But um, from what I've played, it's a lot more stable than my experience yeah. of the 360 version. Like mm-hmm. the free, it still has frame rate rate issues, mm. but the 360 version really suffered from frame mm. rate issues at certain points. Yeah, and the PC version doesn't seem as bad in that regard. I, I mean, it may be down to to my PC, but I've seen nothing of that. The frame rate's been absolutely solid all the way through it's been the games work perfectly aside from the points which obviously it's not supposed to or it looks like it doesn't work perfectly and kind of you know glitches out and whatnot but yeah the problem i had with the pc version is more to do with collision detection like uh, gomez would Mm. sort of glitch on certain blocks and when i turn the camera it sort of freak out and end up floating in midair (laughs) and kind of stuff and it kind of of felt right for the game like fez because it's such a weird glitchy game anyway mm-hmm. on purpose so when it glitches out you think well that could happen in the world of Fez yeah. uh, but the, the 360 version for me had a lot of problems with the loading and transitioning between foreground and background environments right. uh, you know because I don't know if it's the hard drive my hard drive that was a bit flaky or what but it's sort of stuttering between the loads and it's sort mm-hmm. of no I had that, that as well yeah it sort of pulls well. you out the experience and you're just like oh it's weird because it sort of reminds you even though it's a, it's a game like it actually looks and feels like a game at its core it sort of reminds you that it is a game and not like a just a, a well an, an experience there's no game in existence that's more aware that it's a video game than fez mm. but um there is like this immersive quality to the world there you know that's i don't think you can deny that like that world is a place you really do want to be enveloped by mm-hmm. um and that just that stuttering and stuff like that it just breaks you out um, it, it just, it's not so much that it reminds you that you're playing a game. It just, you know, everyone go, gets into that state when they're really invested in the game where it doesn't feel like they're holding a controller. Mm-hmm. It feels like you're actually in the game. That stuff like that just breaks you out of that. It just reminds you that you're just holding a controller in your hand and staring mm-hmm. at a screen. And, and it's un, un, unfortunate. So, yeah, uh, other problems which I haven't really heard too much about. Um, this is a Reportedly, our very own Carl Moon um, reporting mm. headache-inducing visuals. Um, I'm not too sure. I mean, there are certain rooms which probably gave me a headache via the visuals on purpose. There is that one room where the, it's like really crazy. Where yeah, it's like, like a like mosaic of, piece, and yeah. it's sort of going absolutely like, like I say, like a moving mosaic piece. They're sort of flicking around really fast, and it's like it's really mental because you can't really see round Gomez at all, and because it's all mosaics of the uh, in-game textures and stuff, it, it sort of plays with it obviously plays with your expectations on how the level plays. And when you start spinning the camera, you're like, oh, well, that thing over there was now a different thing over there. And I, I think that's on purpose. I think Carl's talking more about just the general look of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, 
which which uh, which I think is unfortunate that it, it, uh, the visuals are causing him headaches because I think it's quite frankly one of the most attractive games visually yeah. I've I've ever seen. Um, I, I know the pixel art aesthetic is nothing new. Um, it would have been if Fez had came out on time, but um, unfortunately <laughs> for Fez, a lot of two D platformers with pixel art came out uh, before its release. Mm. But yeah. like, ju- there's just a sense of composition. I know I use that word in every Kane and Rince <laughs> podcast, <laughs> but just to be like fair, every game does have composition. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, but. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like there, there yeah, is a, a, a feeling that I mean the best example of this is actually when uh, you, Darren, were taking uh, screenshots of Fez uh, mm. with your playthrough. Like every frame of that game could be put in a portrait and hanged up on hey, a wall. Man, that's it my just... genius screenshot skills, mate. You don't know. I'm yeah, bad sure. at the F12 key, man. I am off I, the I, chain. I have to admit, you're really good at timing your F12 presses. <laughs> yeah, I am. But, but that game just... It, it was made to have screenshots like that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. It just... Every second of that game looks so good. Yeah. And there's so much detail. Um and it's, there's so much diversity to the art as well like there's just the general kind of like uh, primary colors of the early stages but then you get into like the sewer area where it feels like like a really old game boy game yeah, well, yeah it's game boy definitely yeah, yeah and just stuff like that is really really appealing and also um there's one section uh, in fact fe- it's not the only section but it's the section that sticks out in my head um, where it really combines music and visuals together. And mm-hmm. that's one of my... F- whenever video games do this, when they combine interactivity with music and visuals, and it becomes like this transcendent experience, stuff like Sound Shapes and uh, Super Brothers, uh, Sword and Sorcery does this. Um, it's that... I think the music that goes with it is called Sync, but it's the level where purple uh purple platforms start appearing mm-hmm. yeah. in time with the music i just ah <laughs> oh, i love that section of the game mm-hmm. so yeah james do you know more about carl moon's uh, headache woes uh well d- specifically he mentioned um the the sky um and i'm not sure if he means because obviously in a couple of the early sections actually of the game um the section that i guess is referred to as the azure section where you get to the sort of main uh warp hub um it's it's very bright. It's almost very high contrast. Mm. Um, I, I'm not sure if it's the day night cycle on it, but he he just I think found that either too bright or or just the the changes in color were were causing him distraction. I actually found uh, I was doing trying to do some searching, and it doesn't seem like it's a, a terribly widespread problem. But I did find a let's play on um, on YouTube where a guy got to the third episode in and titled that episode "Should I Stop." Because he was saying that he was just getting headaches whenever he played it, so it's clearly affecting some people, um, but not as not in as much as a sort of 3DS or Mirror's Edge way. I don't think. Just obviously, some people um, it is a very bright game. Yeah. The the colors do change quite you know quickly and frequently, and maybe that's just causing people eye strain or that kind of thing. Yeah, it's, it seems to use almost like every single color in the wheel too, <laughs> like on yeah, almost every yeah, level. Yeah. So I could, I could see why that might. And like you were saying, the day-night cycle changes those colors while you're looking at them. So and people probably have like problems with magic eye kind of stuff might 
screw that up. Yeah, Magic Eye is a really good way to put it, actually. It's got kind of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, it does, yeah. That aesthetic to it, yeah. It, this is going to be the Kane and Rince, you know, uh, obligatory, mandatory spoiler warning. And more so with this game because it's all about the puzzles. And if we tell you how to solve the puzzles, then you rolling into a room and pressing all the buttons to solve the puzzles sort of takes away the fun. Um, and, you know, you want to live the experience of Fez if you're thinking about playing it. So turn off now and then come back when you've, I don't know, maybe in about a year's time and you've solved all the puzzles on your own. <laughs> and, um, yeah, like, like, like we said earlier, Fez is more of a sort of a, I hate to say casual, but it's more of a laid back platformer. It sort of treats you nicely. You, you fall off a ledge. You don't die. You just sort of respawn as the way you last touched the ground, which is um, a genius touch. Yeah, absolutely. It's It, yeah, it yeah. just takes away all the pressure from you, the player. But I think Phil Fish in an interview with Giant Bomb or one of those couch moments they have where they all sit down and drink beers, he said he always wanted to make a game where it's just a digital environment for you to wander around without any penalties, which obviously makes sense because there's no enemies, there's no death penalty. And it's just like the game's basically your friend and it's not it's not against you in any way in uh you know mechanically it's all against you in kind of um that the crazier designed mental pains in the in the head um so yeah it's nice to just wander around a platformer which is like i say earlier it's a bit weird for me because i like my platformers to kick me in the nuts and then you know spit on my face when i'm down but it's just nice to take, take a break and just pick up all the cube bits you get eight cube bits for a cube and um you, there's 32 regular cubes which you see split from the big can't even pronounce the name hexahedron yeah. <laughs> and you know and, and while you're doing this there's like various references to like the, the little cube thing that follows you around is obviously um a navi sort of wannabe yeah, yeah. like hey listen that's a quote there's there's a bunch of those in there that just put a smile on your face if you know video games and um so yeah you know you wander around you, you collect these sort of these yellow cubes you know like, oh you know this is this is quite nice I'm, I'm enjoying the spin of the camera and then you may or you may not bump into an anti-cube. And these come around through the more trickier side of the game. Um, the regular cubes, um, are you can basically get all of those just through regular puzzle platforming. Like mm. the kind that you've encountered in any game. And you can complete the game just by getting those mm-hmm. regular cubes. The anti-cubes are... Essentially, the game trying to blow your mind uh, with all the crazy puzzles that it can get. These are for the people who want... uh, These cubes are for the people who are really invested in Fez and Mm -hmm. really want challenging puzzles. Um, And uh, some of them are hidden behind not only like just like... We mentioned like QR codes and the vibrating of the controller, but... What you find out, and I, I, I'm assuming we're kind of moving into this territory anyway. That there is an entire language mm-hmm. in Fez. Uh, the technical point. Yeah, it, it, it's a code. There is a a code embedded in uh, in Fez that uh, when I played through originally, um, I had no idea. I, you know, I think most people just assumed that they were crazy patterns on the walls mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. Um, and I, to be fair, I didn't figure out that there was this code in the game on my own. It was people like uh, talking on forums and stuff like that. Oh my god, there's a code in Fez, and you're like, oh god. And people give you like the clue of the quick brown fox. Um, 
Uh, and just because I, but you know, you bump into those two, the you know the the fox jumping over the hound really early in the game, <laughs> and you think, oh, that's cute. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not realizing that 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 those two and the purple block next to them is essentially the mm. Rosetta Stone for the entire game, mm. like yeah. because. You know, as any English student will tell you, uh, the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog contains every letter in the English alphabet. And once you figure out that, you know, the symbols on that purple block match up, you have now got the ability to translate every single block or tech, uh, you know, any time those symbols appear in the game. And you realize that they're like hiding all these like anti cubes in these codes. Like you have to do specific things and stuff like that. That, that really just changed the get, you know, changed the nature of the game, especially, especially in New Game Plus where like platforming kind of becomes irrelevant and it just becomes about like, it just becomes like this code cracking game, which I I found really Mm -hmm. fascinating. Mm. And depending on which one you crack first, I always manage to bump into the 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 sort of the pillar that translates your Xbox 360 or whatever uh, movements into tetrominoes, and yeah. you've realised that you've been seeing these on other sort of pillars <laughs> around the world, and sometimes on the floor in the uh, the the new game plus mode. Yeah. And you you think I've been seeing these sort of tet- Tetris style shapes in in a link, uh, you know, in a in a series in a chain. And then you move left as Gomez and the thing changes and it's like a left piece and you're like, oh my God, like, what if I go right? And you press right on the, joy- on the, on the joystick, the analog stick, and it goes to the, the S piece that's facing the other way. And then you realize every button you press is, is relevant, you know, it corresponds to a tetromino. Mm. And then, like we said earlier, the notes, the notes go out of control from this point onwards because <laughs> you're yeah. translating everything you see on screen in mm-hmm. any yeah, way. Yeah. And depending on which one you find first, it sort of feeds into the other one. So there's the, the alphabet, the Tetromino translation, and then the numbers, which always blows my mind. I could, I'd never really 100% went out of myself. So what are people's favourites? Because like, there's those three. Um, who, like James, which one did you find first? Because you're the most recent guy to play this. Which ones have you found and which ones haven't you found yet? Um, I think the interesting thing is, um, the, the one I find most interesting is definitely the Tetrominos because... Um, you, you you don't realise that actually a lot of and not just like backdrops or anything, but actually a lot of the physical pillars have Tetris pieces and all over them. Mm. But you never really paid it any attention because they kind of just look like odd shaped bricks. But it's not until you start you get to that that sort of monolith that uh, lights up with LEDs that you just mentioned mm. um, that you realise no, that's a code. But then even when you know the code, you've got these purple monoliths with this sort of vertical string of these that you have to kind of work out where the breaks are Mm. to make the various different shapes. So you've got T-shaped piece pointing in four different directions, uh, the S-shaped piece pointing as an S and then backwards as a Z, and then the square for for jump. It's not not until you realise that depends which way you look at it as to what the series is. So I actually had to try four different sequences of inputs mm-hmm. before I realised that you always turn your head if it's vertical, you always turn your head to the right yeah, and look at it as if it was horizontal and that's the way you encode it so I think that's the most interesting but the the easiest one to get is the, the alphabet yeah. because as 
Josh said that that phrase that's on the block that's it's split across two sides, but the first word in it is the, and anyone who knows anything about like decoding Caesar shifts or anything like that will realize that the is just such a crucial word to find. You look for the three letter words, whichever one there's most of, chances are it's the, that gives you T and E, which are two of the most common letters in the alphabet. And from there, it's just, it's a piece of cake. Aside from the fact that Q and K are the same symbol, but <laughs> that, that threw me because mm. it's uh, the, the queek. Um, <laughs> Fox. Uh, if if you don't realise that the Q and the K are the, the same symbol, which doesn't really matter, because as I say, with it, it seems to suggest it's a hequahedron, um, and there's kind of some odd spelling mistakes, mm. or not necessarily spelling mistakes, but just odd um, wrinkles and curiosities as you're decoding this stuff. As always, you'll spell a word and it'll look like a word, but it's not quite a word, and you realise you've got to kind of adjust, adjust things. But the tetrominoes are my favourite, just because there's kind of multiple layers mm. to decoding them. There's, there's a crack in room, which is is made literally out of tetrominoes, and you, you yeah. don't realise that until you see the the, the, the level uh, repeating on itself. You're like, well, why am I back where I started? It's sort of like a weird sort of Groundhog Day room. <laughs> and you're like, well, I'm back where I started. And then you realise that, that, hang on, that's, that's a square, that's a thing piece, and then you start jotting it all down. And the, the sense of satisfaction when you hear that Metroid-esque noise of completing something, you know, like the Metroid gives you that little chime, the Zelda, gives, the Link in Zelda gives you that, it gives that little chime, that little bit of music, that little two-second snippet to let you know you've done something good. Fez has a very good one of them. And when you hear that glitchy sort of 8 bitty noise kicking off, you're like, oh, I can't believe I've actually solved the puzzle. And it's a, it's a, you know, it's a punch in the air moment. You're like, you, you yeah. feel like a, a, a genius for a split second because you solved it. Yeah, <laughs> when you do it and the the waterfall splits, mm. it's just like yes. Yeah, it is just. It's um, just yeah, it, I don't know about you guys, but to me that sound. Um, you you know, like when people talk about like scales falling away from their eyes or something like that, it just sounds like something sort of like tumbling down. Um, mm-hmm. And it just it, it fits perfectly with just like that whatever the veneer of this puzzle is is just crumbling down in front of you, mm. and you're getting to see kind of peek behind the curtain sort of moment. Yeah, it's really great. Yeah, the one that foxed me, which is quite um, apt, well, it's not actually, is the number translation. I've played the game twice through to completion mm. all the way, and the numbers always get me. I know where you're supposed to go. It's, what, it's with the score at the start of the game. Uh, but it always sort of blows my mind as to how I've... I, I never solved them by myself 100%. I've always had to rely twice on people's... Because little, little tiny little nuggets of information like, oh, why don't you try going back to the school? And you're like, oh, okay. And that's what I love about the Fez community, especially, it must be like the Dark Souls community when that first came out, is that people weren't willing to give you the answer straight away. They were mm-hmm. there just to give you a little tiny little nugget of information. And from there, you sort of work it out yourself. And um, Seeing as you brought it up, I, I just think it's worth commenting on the crazy forum event this uh, <laughs> game became. Like, um, you were mentioning about people like helping people out and giving them hints. There were entire threads where people were actually just figuring out the game together, like mm. as a unified effort. And that's really crazy. And it's unfortunate that, that that's now gone. That's like a, a snapshot in time that you, you can't recapture because now anyone coming to Fez has a thousand walkthroughs that they can just mm-hmm. look at. Um, but it it was it was really interesting to see this kind of like collective effort of people, you know, oh, you know, banging their head against these really hard anti cube puzzles, 
and just go, oh, guys, I think I've figured it out. Mm. And everyone else, oh, let's see what this guy did. And it was it's just re- it's one of those times where you you think yeah the internet's actually really cool yeah and i think there aren't enough moments like that because we see so much screaming and shouting that it's nice to have like a moment like that where you think yeah people yeah. are coming together and really enjoying something i think what speaks to it most for me is that um a friend of the show Sinan Kubba, uh was was involved in a lot of this on twitter and i caught i follow him so i caught a lot of what he was talking about but um, in video game writing you tend to get a lot of sort of editorials where it's just one person spitballing opinion on whatever it might be um, v- very oddly to my mind on Ars Technica he co-wrote an article on um, solving Fez and, and the final puzzles in, in that game that's an article that he wrote with Kyle Orland you don't see many articles where you've got two people writing and <laughs> that just speaks to the collaborative nature where yeah. these two guys amongst loads and loads of others were putting their heads together and it was literally every night people you, you'd see on Twitter and, and you know forums people saying oh I'll try it when I get home you know and it was very much like every night for a couple of hours I'll sit down and I'll try and, and just get a little bit further you know get through a di- slightly different puzzle try something slightly different see if it works um, so yeah, I think it, it doesn't happen with many games, and it's pretty special. And, and what I, what I like so much about this whole thing, is that I don't think anyone expected any of this from Fez. Like we no. all saw the trailers no. or beforehand, and, and just thought this is just going to be a cute little, fun little platformer, and and no one thought that this much work is underneath all of that stuff right there. And this is to me, it's really admirable that he would put all this effort into something that like potentially no one could have found any stuff yeah and not not only the you know the translating of different hieroglyphics uh, but also when you complete the game for the first time and you're plonked back into the world you're given a pair of sunglasses which gives you the ability to see in first person <laughs> like what are you doing like this is crazy like i thought this game was a 2d slash 3d platformer but then you realize that the game is literally modeled entirely in 3d like obviously <laughs> it has to be because you spin the camera but i didn't expect for me to just press the left stick in and just see the the textures on the floor. It just totally blew my mind. And game like games rarely give you like when you see a trailer for a game. And this is why I partly don't watch trailers for games anymore because they give you everything you need to know. Like a trailer for a movie, it's like here's all the best bits. You're like, oh Jesus. But seeing Fez's trailers of like they're called long screenshots. They just pan around a world, and you're like, oh, I could have that just like on a digital frame, just spinning around in my bedroom, and it'd be nice. And you just think, okay, that's the game. But then. He's done what games did back in the day. Not only has he got a like an eight sixteen bit art style, but it also has the design sensibility of, well, how about you find secrets for yourself? Mm-hmm. And it's such a, yeah, it's such a rare thing to see in games nowadays because, like I say, they all fart it out in a trailer and give you all the, all the things yeah. you need to know. I think the one downside to the first person sunglasses is that you realize that this game really wouldn't work in first person <laughs> <Yeah>. because <laughs> what looks so what looks so beautiful in that like 2D perspective mm. looks ugly in a first I, person perspective. I quite like that though. I I kind of I kind yeah, of appreciate it's very Minecraft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, it's just or Proteus maybe. It's just so grimy and weird it's so polar opposite to like say to what the game is all the time and then you start seeing the the, you know the nitty gritty dirty pixels of it all but actually not pixels cubes and you're like oh jesus these are polygons like i didn't really expect these to be polygons Mm. and uh yeah it just it blows your mind from a game point point of view because not only is it is it cool to do that thing 
especially as a tester like myself, I love just dicking around with games and just seeing what happens if I run into a wall for an hour. <laughs> like, <laughs> I used to do that stuff, and that's why I worked in the industry for a little while. And, you know, pressing yeah. first person in every single room just to see what happened. Like, this room has nothing. Oh, yeah. Like, on the map, it's all gold. Like, I've got all the golds in this room now, but let's just go into every room anyway and see what it's like in first person. <laughs> I just think that's... Yeah. It's cool. It's cool to see. Uh-huh. And not only is it a cool feature, but it actually plays into gameplay where you can't see various things because they're on the floor that you couldn't see before. Uh, like, you know, the, the Tetromino scrolls are on the floor that you couldn't, you couldn't have seen before and no way could you, unless you cheated on a game fact or something, there's no way you could uh, solve those puzzles without the first person mode. Um, so yeah, and also the ability to fly. I don't ever remember finding out how to do this. I think, it, I don't know if it, it happened by accident. You. It, it doesn't, yeah, does it? Yeah, it tells you how to look in first person, but not how to fly. Yeah, and I, I can't remember if someone, someone must have told me or something like that. But yeah, if you press up on the D-pad like four or five times, uh, Gomez's ability to fly, uh, it literally, it j- just fly upwards. And when you come down, if you come down fast and hard enough, he will sort of collapse in a heap and do the, the death animation, which is a bit... Once you become reliant on the flying ability, you sort of like, oh, okay, I'll just fly down these few platforms. <laughs> and you realise that you should be platforming as well as flying. But yeah... um Josh alluded to it earlier, the game doesn't really become about the platform anymore, and that's because of the flying ability, and again, just like, it feels like something that he's left in there by accident like, you know, he he, he put that in there so he could traverse the world to, yeah, debug mode or yeah, something like that but yeah, it's, yeah. again, it's kind of cool, and again, like dirty and nitty and gritty that he's left it in there, and I just think it's yeah. It's cool. It's very much a throwback to sort of cheats and and cheat modes of games that might unlock once you beat them yeah. um, from like, you know, the 90s and before Indeed. So, yeah, uh, Fez is completely bonkers in terms of um, sort of like visual, you know, context. Ah, Fez is kind of weird in its, its visual puzzles. There's sort of like, like we mentioned, the tetrominoes, the, the alphabet, the numbers. But there's also a lot of um, well-designed puzzles that sort of foxed me for a little while as well. The uh, the clock. Anyone remember the clock? Yeah. <laughs> Which uh, sort of yeah. it ha- has four sides and... You, know, you spin around using the left and right triggers, and each one reacts differently depending on which side you're looking at. So I think like the grey side reacts to years. It seems like it never moved for me, and then the blue side was uh, seemed like seconds, and the you know different colour sides reacted differently. So when you spin the clock round, you're like, oh, that one's moving quicker, and then you suddenly see an anti cube on one of the pillars on the side. You're like, well, oh, go get it quick, and then you'd be sitting there for ages waiting for the next one. You're like, okay, so that that side of the clock's disappeared now. Um, what what uh, I may be remembering this wrong, but wasn't one of them like I think it was the the slowest one would only trigger on certain days, even. Yeah, uh, that sounds about right because it just never budged. And obviously, the way to get around this is to dick around with your clock in either your Windows settings or your Xbox settings. And uh, even then, like you, you're not guaranteed. You're like, okay, what should I do? A, a week away from now, and then you load the game back up, and it's completely different. And you're like, oh no, it's too far. And it's just, again, like, you're sort of cheating the system in a weird way. Like, imagine, like, Animal Crossing when you change the time to mm-hmm. sort of affect the world. But it sort of felt legitimate here, you know? Does anyone else have any other rooms that they well, sort of remember? Uh, uh, not a room in particular, but kind of like a massive puzzle with the owls. Uh, oh, yeah. You have to find the owls in certain areas of the mm-hmm. world, and then they come, they all group together at a certain point and open a doorway for you. Um, that was a slightly crazy because the out they only appear at night. Yeah, and um, and you would and the fact that the game would ne- doesn't really give you any hint that they're what? part of this larger puzzle. You say that I was watching your quick rinse earlier. There's a nice plug yeah. for you. And there's a room <laughs> where on each side of the 
on the walls, each four sides of the walls, there's a poster telling you where the owls are. And you yeah. don't see that until you watch, like, when you're playing this, when you're watching this game, you sort of take more in because you're not absorbed with the character, you're absorbed in the, you know, the, the broader world. And I was like, they're the owls! I can't believe they're the owls that I've been looking for, like, for <laughs> hours on end. Like, they're literally just there on a wall telling me where to go. And yeah, I think sometimes with a game like Fez and Portal and stuff like that, you just need to just put the pad down and just sort of just look at the screen as opposed to, like, what your character's doing. Uh, yeah, but the owls is definitely definitely a highlight anyone else yeah there is there is kind of a, a slight hint at the owls uh, i think it must be is it dot the the little assistant mm-hmm. it's called um i think it must be dot that makes a, some some kind of comment about there needing to be a parliament of owls which is of course the collective uh, uh collective term for for owls mm. so there is some kind of hint that the owls need to gather um because there's there's one room where there's a big owl statue isn't there yeah um so there's some kind of hint there that that you the owls have to be gathered, but it's certainly nothing directly telling you that. And frankly, you may well have missed the fact there are owls because there's there are other birds sitting on top of the trees in in other um, rooms during the daytime. Mm-hmm. So why would the owls be anything different? <laughs> but, yeah, they are, I guess. And you only sort of realise that they are um, important to the world because you'll talk to them, and it'll make that that fez noise, that fez you know mission complete noise, or power up uh, earned noise because they sort of flutter away and it makes that little 8 bitty, you know, uh, you've done well noise, you're like, oh, the owls <laughs> do mean something and not only is like, you know, the the owls and the clock a really good thing, but the the sort of the items you pick up the artifacts and the, the treasure maps and stuff, it's just the game's just really dense with all these things that they're sort of, they're clever enough to not give you the answer straight away but also just a little tiny hint, like a little tiny little flavour of a hint, just to let you know like it sort of details where the invisible platform, on one of the treasure maps, it details where the invisible platforms are. So what you have to do, you have to enter this sort of, one of the rooms and look at the treasure map and go, is this the right room? And you're like, you're really using your, like your mind's eye to sort of picture where you are in the room and think, right, is that where the thing would be? And then you'd spin the camera around and go, right, if I jump here, this is where the treasure map tells me the invisible platform is. And when you find that, when Gomez is hanging off this invisible platform, you're like, what? This could be in every room. Like, I could just I could, there's so many things in these rooms that I'm, I don't know <sighs> so Sean any any highlighted rooms for you that you can think of I didn't find out any of this stuff <laughs> on my no. own no I just I played it straight as a platformer so I, I and I was totally fine with it but I, I just yeah. I just like I said earlier I just completely admire that there is all this stuff in there that if you want to put all the time into it then it's there for you but mm. for me personally no, I, I, I honestly didn't find any of that stuff on my own so I just felt kind of dumb but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. So, yeah, uh, after you get all the all 64 bits and bobs, uh, you know, anti-cubes and cubes, you, well, before that, actually, you sort of notice doors. And one of the great things about Fez in its design is that when you open the door, it never closes again. So you know where you've been. And when you look at the map, which isn't great, but when you look at the map, yeah, it's, it gives you enough information for you to know, like, oh, okay, there, there is a secret in this room, and when you've totally nailed it and finished it, it'll go gold around the, around the frame, which is a nice touch. Mm. But the actual... Just... It's just the fact that Metroid Prime exists, mm. and because Metroid Prime exists, there's no excuse for bad 3D maps anymore. <laughs> so it's just that Fez's map is terrible. I, yeah. I, I know you said it's okay, but, like, I think just having those cubes and whether it's gold or not informing you 
whether it's complete it's not enough because there there are so many rooms that I've, i i there were so many rooms where i thought i'd been in every door and it, 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 on the map it really wasn't clear that i'd been in them and i know it occasionally shows you a a, a gray cube indicating you haven't been in a room yet mm. but i swear there were some occasions where it really didn't tell me that at all well, the problem um, is is that the, the the cubes on the map it, it's not segmented in, in a way that I'd like. It's all sort of one big map, which is quite cool to see when you pull out and you see the whole thing there in front of you. But you sort of have to bend the map around and look beyond the map as well. And it's it's not displayed very well on your screen. I'd like it to be like, if you wanted it to be just the sewer bit, have a look at the sewer bit on its own. This is the, the, the forest bit. Look at that on its own. Because sometimes you look at the sewer bit and you don't notice because it fades away sections of the map that you're not really looking at, yeah. but you need to know that are there. And you're like, well, there's nothing over there. And you only realise there's something there when you pull back and you go, oh, there is something there. Or, or yeah, you twitch you twitch your thumbstick in a direction yeah. that, that just pulls it back in. You think, oh. Fuck. Like even on my second playthrough, I, I forgot where the sewers were. And I was like, I know they're sewers, but I don't know where they are. And it's only, like I say, because I pulled the map or the right analog stick around and I noticed that it was there hiding in the corner. <laughs> It'd be nice to just have a bit more distinction in the map and the, and the viewing of it. And maybe just a bit more stats and information would be nice as well. Mm. About maybe two-thirds of the way through just the, the first playthrough on, on New Game, I kind of wanted just to be able to 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 warp straight to any room mm. on the map just by, you know, you you sort of focus in on it and it goes into the centre of the screen. It's clearly the room you're focused on. I wanted to be able to warp, and I understand why that's not allowed because you are supposed to build this kind of mental picture of how the world fits together. Mm. The problem is that when you're in the map... You're you're looking at a room and there's maybe um, there's maybe paths going off from every face of the cube, and there's a picture in the middle that shows you what that's sort of like the icon for the room if you like that's that's it's usually focused on say if it's a bell tower it's the bell or the lighthouse it's the stripy um, you know red and white paint just enough to tell you right that's that room mm. uh, I know what's in there and the the directions that that those paths go and leading to other rooms are actually relative to one another. So if there's a room coming out forward into the screen, as it, or out of the screen, as it were, um, and you find the door for that, then it's on the 180 degrees rotation mm. that the, the path going back into the screen would be. But there's no way of knowing by looking at the map which way you should be oriented to get to any different room, if you see what I mean. Yeah. So you can't just go into this this room and think, right, I know I need to go 90 degrees to the right and that's the path I need to take to the room, the one room leading off from here that I've got a secret to find in. Um, so the map really doesn't aid you in terms of, or, or it does, but not as much as maybe I'd like in terms of navigation um, around the world. Um, and the other thing in that respect is the hidden doors with the two squares overlapping on them. Oh, yeah. Useless. They're they're really cool, and you find them, and they're these really hidden secrets that just like almost warp you to a different point in the world. Mm. But there's no way of knowing where no. you're gonna go, and they're not shown on the map, so you can't use them as shortcuts. Yeah. You almost just use them as as like a lucky dice roll to see where you're gonna end yeah, up. Yeah, they're absolutely useless um, in my experience. And it, it it's always back to somewhere you've been because you can't use it until you've been to both ends of the path. Mm. And yeah, they just become kind of worthless. So yeah. the the sort of world navigation, uh, when set aside, set alongside the map, just seems a bit weird. Going back to the doors, uh, when you get more cubes and any cubes, you'll notice these doors. Um, you're pretty much told in this sort of nebulous area that 
you know, when you fill up these squares with the cubes, uh, the door will open and you get to new areas. Uh, when you reach um, 32, you open a door and you get your first ending. And then you sort of notice that there's more and more of these doors that unlock new areas and stuff like that. And when you reach, you know, the um, the the required amount of anti cubes, you can then experience the uh, the end game. And then there's a there's a 64 cube room, which um, which is really what? where Fez took off, like to a, to a new level. Just when you thought Fez was done, you entered this room and there was nothing really of any worth to be seen. And then it suddenly like over time people were brute forcing code, like just literally just typing in codes just in different random orders and then not so random orders and brute forcing it to make you know, to just ensure that every code has been done under the sun. And people started like sussing out this thing called the Black Monolith Room. And what is the Black Monolith Room? And this is where the game really was out of my brain capacity. Did anyone else get involved with the Black Monolith or I never touched the Black Monolith. I, I saw it. Mm. Um, but it just like pe- have people still not figured out what that what, what's up with that thing? Kind or... of, yeah. So in one part of the room, uh, you look at one of the treasure maps, and yeah. it tells you to go to a certain like it's a burnt treasure map, and on it's it's stup- it's sort of uh, it's mirrored basically. So on this treasure map, and there's a certain pattern that correlates to the floor in the black monolith room, and it tells you to go to a certain square in this in this black monolith room and you type in a code that was brute forced and a black monolith appears I think and then on the opposite side you do a sa- you do the same kind of thing but with a different code and that was brute forced as well just by a bunch of mentals doing these codes and uh, you know a big black monolith appears and then after that they sort of uh, this is where the game literally is out of my brain space um, they found out that that also had a code that could lock- unlock a heart room um, I don't know if anyone found any hearts. Did anyone find any hearts? Uh, yeah, found my first one. Yeah. Uh, this evening, yeah. So you, you'll see them floating in a room if you do ever venture down this scary hole of, like, it, <laughs> at this point, it just feels really dark and seedy. Like, like the, it, it feels quite unfinished as well at the same time. It doesn't feel like Feelfish really meant for us to go in there. Again, which is quite old school sentiment, like, you know, dodgy rooms just lurking around in games, like Mario 1's Lost Levels, uh, no, Minus World mm. and stuff like that. It kind of feels like that, where you shouldn't really be going in here, but, you know, like when you're a kid and you, you see those nice shops that sell those lovely magazines and stuff, you think, I shouldn't be in here, but I'm going to go in there anyway and see what's up. And yeah, you see the heart, and then there's a code, obviously, to break the heart, and, and that's where things have ended, because uh, the PC version led to players hacking apart the files. You know, you know when a, when a new Half-Life game comes out, people root for the files for every kind of bit of information possible. Like, oh, I found a file that says Half-Life 3. And you're like, <gasps> they sort of did that with Fez. And they found a code for the heart room and then the heart disappears. And people have noticed that this, this heart logo represents um, a company image that is related to Phil Fish. And it just carries on like this, like like a chain reaction of just things and notifications. And yeah, Phil Fish likes this company called so-and-so. I can't remember the name. I apologize, but it is, it's a heart and it looks just like the one in Fizz. And you're like, cool. And then I had to just turn the, the, the browser off one night. I was just like, I am, it's going to happen all over again. And I, I really, to be honest, <laughs> I can't be bothered. <laughs> so I turned it off and, um, I'm hoping that over the time between now and Fez 2, we find out what actually happens with this heart room and why you can, you can break the heart. And apparently some people said, yeah, but it's because you're breaking the heart of the developers because you use the cheat <laughs> to get the code. You're like, oh, just 
nah, that's like Lost when people thought about Lost too much. You know what I mean? It mm-hmm. kind of gives me the same scary vibes. It sounds like uh, almost a viral campaign, but it's at this incredibly sharp end where very few people are spending masses of time. Mm trying to work it out so i mean that's kind of the antithesis of a viral campaign which (laughs) should get as many people as possible involved and interested in what's going on um but at at this stage it's yeah it's almost like it's acting like a viral campaign but it's not for any advertising or anything like that it's just for the people who kind of stuck it out Mm. um to to try and pour over and see what's what's going on yeah interesting So while you're playing the whole of this, uh, this masterpiece, in my opinion, is the soundtrack. Um, it is it is an absolute wonderful mm-hmm. soundtrack, and possibly the first time I've ever listened to a game soundtrack out of the game. I've had stuff like the Ocarina of Time soundtrack on my PC at some point, and just listened to it just because it wants. To, I want to remind myself about the game and certain mm-hmm. locations. But the first soundtrack. I'd put it on because it's an enjoyable listen and yep. it puts you in a state of mind that is is really uncommon for me because I like energy music. You know, I like high energy music that's going to make me run around like a hyperactive kid on sweets. But the first soundtrack <laughs> does something completely different. Um, how do we feel about the soundtrack? I mean, I'm pretty sure it's unanimous. It, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Game soundtracks are kind of a big deal for me. Um, I mean, most of my 
favorite games of all time do have really great soundtracks. Just sound design in general is kind of important to me hmm. in video games. Fez stands out as a game with not only a great soundtrack, but a great soundtrack that really complements its visuals. Um, it, that They're really in sync with each other. Um, that year, though, in general, yeah. I had a, it was lousy with great soundtracks, even if it wasn't like the best year for just, you know, games. Like we had Hotline Miami soundtrack mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, th- that was a great year for music in general. Oh, Spelunky's yeah. remake music for the Xbox Live Arcade version. Like, yeah. if ever there was a game, I know this isn't the Spelunky cast, but if there was ever going to evoke Mega Drive, <laughs> Spelunky XBLA would be it. So yeah, um, anyone else? Whenever Fez comes up in conversation on Twitter or on forums and everything, the first thing I think of every single time, I just go do 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 It's the oh god, it's just so much fun that song, Adventure. And like you were saying, Josh, it just it completely encapsulates everything about the world and the visuals and the story, and just it's so so much fun the entire soundtrack. Yeah, uh, like even you doing that shoddy representation of the soundtrack, <laughs> yeah. it gave me gave me goosebumps. It gave me goosebumps because it gives me those that that you know the hair on the back of your neck standing up, like numb sensation that I get from the high energy music that I like. Uh, James, you're most recent to the the Fez world. How do you uh, listen to the soundtrack in in game and out of game as well? Oh, just let me count the ways in which you're all going to hate me now. Um, <laughs> I, I have a real problem with game soundtracks, and it's not that I don't like game soundtracks, it's that I don't hear game soundtracks. I don't know what it is. Sound design, absolutely, I get it. I, I know how good, say, Battlefield or Dead Space is in sound design. Mm. And Fez, in its own indie 2D platforming way, you know, I, I hear all the synth noises that are kind of that are encouraging you all the way through the game. Um, but I, I've i got the soundtrack and I, I plan on sitting down and listening to it and I know I'll hear music that I heard in the game, but right now I could not tell you one song I heard in that game. I, I can wow. hear all the different synth noises that happen when you open the door or mm. when you, you move between the levels, you know, you zoom back into the screen. Um, and I And I know the noise that happens when you uncover a secret in the game. I can't pick out a piece of music from it, and I, I, I never can in any game. So it's no disrespect to Disaster Piece no. or or Fez at all. I I just can't. I, I, in in as much as as Josh <laughs> and I have very similar opinions on games, I'm polar opposite. I'm almost tone deaf when it comes to music. I just don't pick it up. I was gonna say like, because <laughs> yeah, as you mentioned, we tend to uh, run parallel with most games, but like yeah. that that music's like the first thing that triggers memories of games for me and Mm. um for me like 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 i remember parts of fez through the music Mm. like there's a scene towards the beginning of the game that i always remember Mm. because it's just a perfect combination of the music and the visuals it's when you're first learning how to uh, you know twist the world around and there's like mm. seagulls and stuff mm-hmm. like that and there's yeah. just this sound of i can't I, me doing an impression of it, it's terrible we're going to do it then <laughs> it's just but yeah, but it's just it it just sounds like you're at the beach mm. and there's seagulls yeah. there and the music feels like crashing waves and um i'd I, no, it, it, honestly, it, I only mention it because I, 
I can't sit here and say that I really enjoyed the soundtrack. No, I know yeah, when I no. listen to the soundtrack, I will think it's absolutely fantastic, but it's a very rare game. I mean, something like Rush Brothers that I've just played and Darren, you have, mm-hmm. that's all about the music. I could forget most of the rest of that game and just <laughs> play the music. Um, and Hotline Miami, I mean, you can't avoid the music in that because, yeah, frankly, yeah. if you're not playing it nigh on bleeding your ears, <laughs> then you're doing it wrong, you know? So uh, games like that where it's just it's all about the music... I get, but it, it comes to the point in most games where I end up turning the music down because I want to hear the sound effects and the dialogue oh God, more. I, I oh, what? Are you doing? <laughs> but not not uh. not not because I don't want to hear the music. Because even if the music's high, all it does is lessen my ability to hear the the sound effects, and I don't hear the music. Hmm. I wish I knew why, but it's the same reason why I'm rubbish at musical instruments and and actually creating or playing music. I can't even tune a guitar for crying out loud. I'm completely tone deaf in all but medical diagnosis. In all honesty, I, I, I always find it really, and I know this is just my perspective, and I, I and you know this is just me, but I always find that. For me, like music and gameplay are so linked for me in my head. Mm. I always find it interesting when people say, like, I don't really remember video game soundtracks, and or, or I. The worst is when I hear people say, like, I turn the music off in games, and I'm like, I actually want to kill people who say that <laughs> because for me, those those two things are so linked in my mind. Um, and it's interesting hearing your your perspective on it, James, because it, it's so different from mine. Yeah, it's weird because I have uh, I have memory. You know, if I sit and and of an evening, if I happen to have, let's face it, I don't have a couple of hours spare. I sit up and it gets to eleven o'clock. I know I should go to bed, and I just start putting songs on on iTunes, and I'll just pick random songs. And I have so many strong memories attached to music. But when I'm watching a film or when I'm playing a game, I only tend to notice it if it's either really overpowering like in something like Hotline Miami or maybe um, I don't know Heat or something like that um, or if it's doing something wrong and I tend to kind of just say oh well if I didn't notice it it must have been good because <laughs> I didn't notice it so it, it fit in with the tone um, and I definitely remember the sound in, in Fez but until I actually sit down and listen to the soundtrack I, I couldn't reel off like you guys are any piece of music from the game it's just it's weird and it's uh, it's just a weird thing that i have and it's as i say absolutely no disrespect to disaster piece who i'm sure when i listen to the the album um will have done an absolutely outstanding job but i just i just don't get it it's a mental block thing well it's uh it's safe to say that we're all we're all fans of fizz uh but we're gonna bounce over to the forum and then after that to the twitter for the free word reviews uh yeah we're gonna get the the Forumites and their lovely words, uh, hopefully. And, um, yeah, we'll see what they have to say. Uh, so, yeah, Magic Joe F. He says, Fez was my favourite game of 2012 and was a totally engrossing experience that I will remember for a long time. I didn't know a great deal going in other than early reports were saying that there were more to Fez than meets the eye. From the start, the game managed to communicate that something unusual was going on. The strange glyphs that appeared all over the environment worked together with the mysterious soundtrack to allow the player to infer that there were multiple layers of puzzle happening here. Like Gomez, the player was invited to look past their initial perspective to discover more about this world. What made Fez a really interesting experience was the sense of collective discovery, as various communities on the net were working towards cracking the codes and unravelling the secrets that were laced throughout the game. I was playing through sections until I was utterly stuck, 
but then trying to scan for clues about where I should be looking next. Although I had to look up some of the more obtuse solutions, which you could argue might dilute the experience, Fez had a feeling of zeitgeist about it, and the fact that I could continue my journey without getting stuck to a point of frustration kept me engaged throughout. It will remain one of my favourites on the 360. I have kept the scrawled notes and dots and shapes I made whilst playing, and I still listen to the excellent soundtrack by Disaster Peace. Roy42 says... I thought it was a good exploration game with an interesting gameplay hook, some nice puzzles and charming nods towards an older generation of gaming in more ways than just what's presented to you in the game. However, nothing is going to make up for the terrible performance when I played it, with long load times and massive drops in frame frame rate in what are supposed to be seamless transitions between rooms or islands that culminated multiple times in total crashes that I had to reset the system for. There is zero excuse for that happening with any game. The anti-cubes were Phil Fish's way of bringing the olden days of gaming when secrets and codes would would be passed around by word of mouth in the schoolyard to the age of the internet. Only here it's solutions to the more complex puzzles. Reads the key to the cipher, which is not the same as making a new language that people might not have had the patience for. I like the idea, I just wish it wasn't purely to get anti-cubes. Couldn't there have been a bunch of easter eggs that had no bearing on the game that were hidden so obscurely that the only way most people would find them would be through posts on forums that most people would overlook. The closest we get to that is the monolith, except that it's not hidden. It's made glaringly obvious, challenging players who had made it that far, creating the expectation that there would be something worthwhile beyond it, which of course wasn't the case. And while I'm sure someone could make an argument that that was supposed to be the point, in the same way that the stars in Braid are um, intentionally annoying to get, at that point it just becomes pretentious and at least in Braid the stars were hidden, but now I'm getting off base in a paragraph that I didn't even have a clear direction that I was going with anyway. Ultimately, Fez doesn't feel like the result of four years of work. I know Fish has said that he basically remade the game four times, but the design is something that can still improve over each iteration, and it doesn't feel like it did. It looks nice, it sounds nice, and the way you can lose yourself down a rabbit hole of door after door in an initial playthrough warp back to the hub area and try another path slash look at the map um, and see how far you went or check the time and realize you just walked around doing almost nothing to actively solve any puzzles for around an hour is a testament to the immersive nature of the world that's been created. However, I've played games with all of those strengths that took far less time to be released and barring a conversation with Phil himself and a chance to play builds from the first three years of development, I'm steadfast in my opinion that it could have been a lot better for how long it took to come out and how much hype was built around it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sly Reflex says, I came to Fez a while down the line. I really liked it aside from a few really oblique puzzles. Having something so complicated that you have to pull the whole player base to sp- uh, to spam in command to work something out is bad. I know some might think that was clever, but I don't. A good puzzle should be able to be cracked by a player and the player player themselves. Making something obscure or too difficult takes away the satisfaction of working something out. I had similar moments in Braid where I'd stumble across the answer to a problem and not understand how I got to that conclusion. It was more of a, oh, okay moment rather than, ha, I got this. Snakey Dave says, Fez is an odd game for me. I love my time with it, but I don't think it's particularly successful as a platform, puzzle platformer. The first half is very gentle platforming, collect them up full of discovery of literally what's around the next corner. 
Bethesda's world is a wonderful creation and clearly a labor of love, and an endearing tribute to the games that inspired it. There's huge pleasure in collecting cube bits, opening chests, finding doors in this retro wonderland. The central world spinning mechanic is also very satisfying. It feels mischievously empowering to turn the world like a Rubik's Cube. The problem for me lies in the fact that the game doesn't really build on what appears to be its main mechanic. Fez isn't really about perspective. His puzzles don't focus on 2D, 3D dichotomy of its world, save for some light traversal puzzles early on. The world spinning never evolves beyond rotating to find the next platform, or using it as an input method for code. For, most, for the most part, the puzzles are cute, but distinct exercises in breaking ciphers, and while this was a fun and obtuse throwback kind of way, they were essentially superfluous to the initial world-spinning conceit. Consequently, it doesn't have the tangible arc of a good puzzle game, where, com where complexity is gradually introduced to twist and add to the central conceit. There's just a lot of stuff to find, and while every manner in which you unlock a cube is fun, they're disparate. So while there's a consistently satisfying sense of discovery to the game, there isn't a sense of progression, rather than just completion. If one takes the game as a beautifully created nostalgic jaunt, then it's brilliant. It's very enjoyable and full of ideas, but on reflection and stripped of the cultural buzz that it had at its launch, the game's mechanics doesn't quite stand up. I think it's it's interesting to see some of these responses, particularly um, that last one from Snakey Dave and uh, Roy42s. It seems like, in many ways, they would have preferred a straight 2D platformer, kind of the way that you played it, Sean, where it's just... 32 cubes to find. If there's Easter eggs, great, but I don't want that necessarily. And I think the thing that I find quite odd about that is I don't feel like you are necessarily forced to find anti-cubes. You know, Roy's saying that he would have preferred them not to be anti-cubes that you had to find in the game. Well, I, I, I don't think you do. But I think it's interesting that he felt compelled to find the cubes because they were there as de facto collectibles mm. in order to get to the true ending of the game but you can find all 32 cubes uh, or or the cube bits that make the cubes mm. uh, finish the game you get credits you get to a screen that says new game plus but you know plenty of games we might play where we wouldn't then play through it again even if there was a new game plus so mm. something about it obviously did compel him uh, to, to keep playing through the game even though on reflection, he didn't seem to enjoy it that much. It's quite interesting. Hmm. And last but not least, we have Benjo three t one. He says, "I've I've been closely following the development of Fez since its uh its win in the two thousand eight IGF Awards. So it was something I was really looking forward to. When it finally happened, the game ended up being so much more than a cute pixel art platformer with a neat three D perspective that originally sold me. And this was a very pleasant surprise indeed. Scribbling notes like a deranged madman as I tried to decipher everything in the world is what I'll fondly remember this game for." When most games lead you down a path and show you everything the game has to offer, Fez rewards you for using your noggin, and I found this to be extremely satisfying. Although I have very fond memories of Fez, it's not something I've ever felt the need to go back and replay. Maybe one day when my memory of the puzzle starts to fade, but I think it'll be difficult to reproduce the feeling of discovering some of those secrets for the first time. And uh, yeah, so thank you everyone for your correspondence. It's nice to have a bit of a mixed bag of opinions there. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And now we're going to move on to the three word reviews, which uh, came from Twitter. So yeah, starting off with Sea Thief UK, he says, Spinny Fusion Generator. Raptor, yeah, I guess. Uh, Raptor, but with an X instead of an E. That map, though. Project Hat Sun says, my head hurts. <laughs> Robotic Monkey says, hurdy brain puzzles. 
some weirdo called Midgemeister says, Fezzes are cool. Cinema Dan says, Inane scribble notes. Huh? Uh, Del Toro says, Underwhelming, acceptable, obtuse. Roy42 says, Buggy, unchallenging, beautiful. Zephyr Light, distinguished new perspective. And Kilted Moose says, Perplexing Pixel Puzzler. Nice alliteration there. (laughs) So, yeah, now all that's left is for uh, our summaries. And within the summaries, I want us to uh, give you all brief expectations of what Fez 2 can be. Now, be fully aware that this could be a whole podcast within itself. Um, (laughs) Because the fact that you know, at the Horizon event um, on the third day of E3, mm-hmm. um, they announced basically Hotline Miami 2 and Fez 2, um, which is weird because when you think of indie games, you think new IPs and not sequels. Mm. But to hear Fez 2 and Hotline Miami 2 be, being made so soon after their, mm. you know, after their uh, first release is it's quite surprising, but at the same time, um, not disappointing in any way. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Sean, uh, your summary of Fez and what, Briefly, what would you expect from Fez 2? Well, I'm glad I gave Fez a shot. Um, like I said before, I was, I was I had totally written it off. And uh, at, at some point, sometimes you have to put the art before the artist and give it a shot for yourself. And uh, I ended up really enjoying it, even though I didn't dive into it as much as everyone else did. I, it was just, it's a cute game. And I find it relaxing and fun and just very enjoyable to jump around and collect little cubes and mm. Gomez himself is just super cute um, yeah. <laughs> but Fez 2 who fucking knows it could go he, he's apparently compared it to how Zelda 2 it was to Zelda 1 so oh, I don't know I guess it's a side solar fucking <laughs> uh, who knows but I, I'll, I'll, I'll be interested regardless of uh, mm. anything he says actually <laughs> so yeah great game yeah, I completely agree with your um, your thoughts about just um, you know jollying around a two D world, picking up cube bits, and yeah, it's a perfectly fine platforming experience. Um, but it, for me, the game really excels in beyond the you know the surface layer of controls and graphics and and, and art and stuff like that. Um, the the secrets that lay beyond what the initial trailers and screenshots led you believe was where Fez really for me. It's kind of like a Kinder Egg, you know. Like when you when you're a kid and you first buy a Kinder Egg and you pop it open, you're like, "Do you mean there's a toy inside this thing? This is amazing! Like who wouldn't want to buy these all the time?" <laughs> Fez is kind of like that. It's kind of like, "Oh my god, there is actually like Goonies style puzzles to be solved within this game." Not well, probably Goonies is the wrong thing to reference there, but you know what I mean. That that scene in the Goonies where he holds the coin up against the island and realizes it fits together. You're like, "That's like Fez. Like these things fit together and it's amazing." Um, yeah, Fez is more than a platformer. It is. Yeah, uh, Phil Fish really has created something special, unique, and um, yeah, it's something that I'd love to play again. To be honest, so Fez Two, if it if it carried on from where Fez One left off, which if you think about the the late the latter rooms of Fez, they sort of they're pink and they're black and they sort of they sort of resemble what the Fez Two trailer laid out. Like if you look at the Fez Two trailer, it's sort of like neon, very Blood Dragon esque in my opinion, Far Cry Three Blood Dragon, where the neon Tron lights are, you know whirling around and making noises and yeah um i kind of expect phase two to follow that kind of art design and have a darker tone i don't know if that's what zelda 2 is because i never really played zelda 2 but i can't imagine first to have a bit more of a darker tone mm. and 
it's it's hard to say because you got the preconceptions now of because you played fairs, mm. you sort of know what Phil Fish has in mind. But then, does he blow your mind and not do that again? I don't know. It's it's quite exciting to think about a sequel and not know where it's going to go because like Dead Space two to three, you sort of know what's going to happen. It's going to be Isaac Clark destroying things left, right, and center. But Fairs two, I mean, who who, who knows? Like it's. It could be a karting game. <laughs> I hope not. But imagine if it was a Mario Kart clone. <laughs> and you know, a Mario Kart clone, and you you power slide around a corner, and you bump into something completely different, and it just—I don't know. My mind, it's incomprehensible. Like what could happen with Fez Two? But I am so happy that it's being made, and uh, that Phil Fisher has made enough money off of Fez to make another game. Um, apparently, he's making two games, and this is obviously one of them. Um, it'd be interesting to see what the other one is all about but yeah uh, Fez is up there with apart from that rubbish XBLA cover art I know it's meant to be representative of like Amiga days and that Mm. kind of art box art back then but it's a load of guff that artwork (laughs) (laughs) you've just insulted the Scott Pilgrim artist uh, monster it's rubbish it does not fit the game's art at all it's like uh, I I don't like that at all I like Scott Pilgrim don't get me wrong but that, that XBLA cover art is in my opinion, um, not representative of the game. It might seem weird to compare uh, Fez to Bayonetta, but stay with me here. Um, Both these games, when I first played them, I really enjoyed them, but it was as time kind of passed by that I realised how much I loved them. I, I mean, I really liked Fez at the time, but it's only like it's almost been a year now since I played it and it's really lingered in my head in a way some games I thought I liked more haven't um, and I, I honestly I think it's one of the most memorable most interesting games I've played in years um, I, I'd put it up there with uh, you know maybe not like my all-time favourites, but it's certainly a favourite of mine in recent memory. Mm. Um, I just... The creativity of the puzzles and just how it clearly represents one man's personality. It's clearly a very authored experience. It's not a focused group. We're trying to appeal to everyone. (laughs) It's not. It's, It's clearly just this guy trying to express... Uh, some internal stuff through gameplay mechanics and through aesthetics and uh, through visuals. It's it's a really special game. As for Fez 2, I have a feeling that it's going to be mechanically very different. I'm going to place bets on the fact that it might actually be 3D. Mm. Uh, and I'm thinking Super Mario Galaxy crossed with Antichamber here. Get excited. Uh, <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> so, um yeah. yeah um so basically it's going to be the game where you know the game that causes everyone to go into a seizure yeah. at some point <laughs> um yeah i'm really excited for fez 2 simply because you know i have these theories about what it's going to be but i think the most exciting thing is that we don't really know what it's going to be because with phil fish it's not a guarantee that it's just going to be another 2d platformer with uh, you know perspective shifting mechanics, we don't know that. Um, it could be something completely crazy. So I, I'm I'm excited. Yeah, I, I guess I'd like to start with um, some of the correspondence above. 
in particular Sneaky uh, Sneaky Dave talked about how the I think it was him talked about how the um, the key mechanic of rotating the world didn't really play into the puzzles for the most part. I mean, it did the sort of physical puzzles for the the regular cubes, but it didn't for the anti cubes. Um, and that's that, that's definitely correct. I think you know the, the rotating the world and it being uh, a two D world, but on four different planes as the side of the cubes, the sides of the cube, uh, and essentially three D. That that really didn't play much into it. You know, it was much more about deciphering codes and and QR codes and thinking outside of the game almost in terms of how to to go about solving some of these uh, anti cube puzzles. Whereas with something like something much more straightforward in terms of being a, a game that we understand. Um, Portal, you get the Portal gun, and it's all about ramping up how you use that gun to solve puzzles. And you'll use it in some incredibly um, different and interesting ways and do things with it that you didn't think were possible. But it doesn't really ever ask you to step outside of the core mechanic of the game in order to solve a puzzle. Um, whereas Fez really, really does. In... Just like Josh, I'm going to uh, relate this to Antichamber in the same way that Antichamber kind of does as well. And I played those two games very similarly. Um, partly because of the way the maps and the worlds work, um, what I I do in both games was I just barrel. You know, you, you find a, a single path through and, and you get into a room in Fez and there may be four or five doors to go through. Pick one, go through it. And then the way I'd usually play a game was... I'd go through it and then I'd come back at some point. I'd literally step backwards through the world and then I'd pick another door and go through that and be very systematic. But you kind of can't do it in Antichamber and you can't in Fez either. You kind of just have to go with making progress is, is the key and you don't worry about being systematic about it. And I think that's where, when we've talked about having to be really relaxed about it, about how you play Fez, that's where that comes in. You kind of can't get caught up in being too systematic and checking off the progress as you go. You kind of just have to wonder and see where the progress comes. You know, you, you you edge forward, but you're not really intending making progress. You just kind of do, and I really liked it for that. It didn't feel like a game, although I played through it quite quickly, it didn't feel like a game that I was going to try and rush. It kind of demanded that that you didn't, and I thought that was great. Hmm. And so, like Josh, I'd like to see Fez 2 do something different mechanically. I mean, I think Antichamber kind of is a first-person Fez, so I'm not necessarily sure I'd like to see it try to be Antichamber, and I don't think it will be. But I'd like to see it do something different mechanically, but still keep the spirit of just being a bit chilled out, you know, not definitely not uh, having a sense of urgency about it. Just wonder, see what you find, you know, choose your path based on having half an hour to play and when you get to the end of that half hour just stop quit come back the next night see if you can get any further and not worry too much about banging your head up against you know a brick wall until you get through it um you know if if your head starts hurting turn around walk a different way and go and have some ice cream <laughs> sounds, sounds good to me so this is the roundup for the podcast um, i hope i haven't totally destroyed it and you you're not going to click the unsubscribe button because i am back hosting with Minecraft, but before that we have Aliens Colonial Marines, <laughs> uh, Dishonored, Minecraft, Tomb Raider, the 2013 edition, El Shaddai, Ascension of the Metatron with um, Funky Man um, Sean Bell, DMC, Devil May Cry, that's Ninja Theory's um, excellent reboot, Deadly Premonition, or Red Seas Profile, Star Wing, Star Fox, slash 
Lilac Wars, Star Fox 64, it all depends on what you want to say, I don't really mind. Uh, Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell Chaos Theory, Fahrenheit or Indigo Prophecy, depends on which side of the pond you reside. Uh, Super Meat Boy, Eleanor, Psychonauts and Heavy Rain, episode 100, Heavy Rain. Um, Because we've sold out and we're just money-grubbing bastards, no that's not true, <laughs> um, you can buy um, merchandise at the Kane and Rince, uh website, there's a link on the site, or you can just go to uk. We don't actually make much money off of it, it's really just enough money to run the site. So if you want to show support for the podcast and the website, please buy a t-shirt, buy a hoodie, it, it really helps us out. Take a look at our quick rinse videos via the blog and the Canaan Rinse YouTube channel. Uh, Darren is churning those out. He, it's excellent. It's really funny. Check them out. You can see us at twi- uh, you can see us on Twitter at Canaan Rinse. You can go on our Facebook page at facebook.com/slash Canaan Rinse. You can support us by subscribing and reviewing slash rating us on iTunes. Every little bit of that stuff helps us. Um, check out the Kane and Rince periodical. Jay puts a lot of hard work into those. Mm. They're really good. They look really professional. Please check them out. Um, also check out the Kane and Rince Minecraft server, where, where I'm sure many crazy creations have occurred. Uh, join the Kane and Rince community and have your say at kaneandrince.com slash forum. All of this and more can be found at canandrince.com. Uh, just a little addendum to this Canaanrince Minecraft server. Um, there may be a few of us playing on there from this episode that you've just heard onwards because the, the podcast is coming up and I need to know my stuff. I know a bit, but luckily we've got um, expert super dude uh, server host Mr. Ting on the podcast for his first ever podcast, so... Sure, he'll be uh, nervous as anything, but yeah, uh, check out the server on the. Go to the forum, check out the link for the server, get whitelisted, and uh, come join the shenanigans that will no doubt be happening between now and uh, July. Yeah, I should probably do that. I'm on that show. Excellent. I should probably start playing the game. Yeah, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, it's just uh, I was going to emulate Leon then, but I'm just going to say thanks for joining me, Mr. James Carter, Joshua Garrity, and Richard O'Brien. Uh, Sean O'Brien. From uh, sorry, that was a Crystal Maze reference there. Okay, you're you're okay. welcome. <laughs> Are you, you confused? Yeah. Oh no, I've turned it into IDKFA. Thank you very much. Um, I'm I'm Darren Goggett, and I'll catch you on the flip side. Yeah.